the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. Welcome to The Marinade with Jason Earl, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. This is episode 51, and our guest is G. Love. Recording this conversation was a really special experience. We caught up with G ahead of his set at Janus Live in St. Petersburg, Florida, the day before I ran my first marathon. Uh, 20 plus years after I started listening to G. Love, 20 plus years after I first vowed to run a marathon, I find myself sitting in the green room with the former and mentally preparing for the latter. It was such a cool experience and G couldn't have been more open and real and just a delight to talk to. G Love's latest record with uh, his band G Love and Special Sauce is The Juice. It's available wherever you listen to music and at philadelphonic.com. Before we get to our conversation with G Love, I want to shout out our new Patreon patron, Alex. Al, thank you so much for your support of the show. Y'all, Al has been listening and engaging with the marinade for, for a while now, and so it's such an honor to have him on board with our Patreon community. Uh, the second order of business I have is to explain why the hell we skipped episode 50. If you're following this show closely, or even if you just looked at your podcast feed and noticed that I went from 49 to 51, there's a reason for that. When this whole thing started, uh, my good friend Peter was uh, the first, one of the first, if not the first, thought partner for the marinade. Uh, He's the reason that I got into podcasts in the first place. He's also one of the funniest, smartest, and most thoughtful people I know. And uh, very early on, he claimed episode 50 uh, because he wants to interview me. So on episode 50, whenever Peter and I get a chance to get in the same room, Peter's going to interview me. Uh, He lives in Minneapolis now and I live in Orlando. So the logistics are a little complicated. It may be two months from now. It might be a year. Uh, Regardless, episode 50 belongs to Peter. And when that happens, we'll just drop it in, even if we're on episode 150 at that point. The song you're hearing in this episode is Go Crazy off of The Juice by G Love and Special Sauce. Without further ado, everybody, my conversation with G Love. Go crazy. I'm gonna lose my mind. If I don't, go crazy. I'm gonna lose my mind. 
anything? No, I'm good. I'm actually running a marathon tomorrow. Oh, shit. All right, right. Yeah. Appreciate it, though. Yeah. All right. I'm going to jump into it. Cool. Let's do it. Man, thank you. This is such I'm an honor. Yeah, maybe. Should I shut this? Yeah, if you're not claustrophobic, that might help us. Oh, man, that's yeah. perfect. Check one, two. G loves Mike. Oh, perfect. Marinade. Dude. Right, man. Yeah, I got you a button and a sticker. Sick. <laughs> that's a gift for you. Love it. Dude, this is such an honor. I um was thinking about it as I was reflecting on this. I've been listening to the juice a lot and I love it. And um I was thinking I was like, man, Philadelphia, I I was not eighteen or nineteen. So it hit me at like that place. Like I got into and that's what got me into your music was Philadelphonic. And I think that hit me at that place where like you're um you're exploring so much and you're getting to know your musical identity is starting to shape, right? Philadelphonic. Yeah, well, like I'm saying, like for for me personally, listening to that music, uh-huh. like that was it hit me at a time in my life. Oh, I see. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Where like I was I was really starting to figure out what I wanted and what I wanted to listen to, right. and really at the time it was like my focus. I, I was into all kinds of stuff, but I wanted to play baseball and I wanted girls to like me. <laughs> okay. And so there was like, <laughs> right? I'm like 18, 19, yeah. and those are the things that mattered. And uh, there were the girls who listened to, who hung out with the guys who listened to country music. And then there were the girls who listened, who hung out with the guys who listened to hip hop. And there were the girls who listened to the guys who listened to other stuff. And all the girls seemed to like Philadelphonic. And so oh, it was okay. very advantageous Sweet. to me at the time. <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> and so um, it brought all of that together so beautifully. But I love that about it. And also that record kind of opened my eyes to a lot of different stuff. So first of all, thank you for all the beautiful music you've made. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And um, I would note that Philadelphonic, which just turned 20 years old. Crazy. So that means you're 38. Uh, I just 30. turned 39. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, also it had one of my greatest, um, what I call, quote, baby-making songs, <laughs> which is Give Me Some Lovin'. Uh-huh. I call it that because a lot of people have said, oh, yeah, you know, I met my wife listening to that song. We made <laughs> our baby listening to that song. That's got to feel good on some level. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, the juice, man, I, I love it. The The title track sounds like... Um, when the first time I heard it, I was like, this sounds like uh, Tom Waits wrote a song with Tom Morello, Great. and they were both on Zoloft. Okay. <laughs> What's Zoloft? It's like one of those uh, uppers. Kind of, it's like for, for uh, I don't, upper's not the right word, but it's like for people with depression. Okay. So it's like, because it, that's a, one of the things that I feel like is such a strength of yours is taking kind of heavier thing themes if you're going to have to take them there and making such a joyful sound out of it. Okay, you yeah. Know? There's like that undercurrent of joy. Um, that goes through it. So I just want to get into that. What um, what did the juice look like coming together? Was it like you and Keb were sitting there and you're like, let's call up the coolest motherfuckers we can think of and make a record? And that's how it all came about? Or what did that process look like? You mean the song or the whole record? I mean the record okay. as a whole, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, the story started with uh, Keb, Keb Mo and I, Keb... Uh, you know, we were both were signed by a guy named Michael Kaplan, who's an A&R guy, Epic Records. Um, in the 90s, he signed us to, um, and together we launched a quote, relaunched the quote, Race Records um, label, called a Race Record label, because in the 30s, they released African-American artists, music, including Robert Johnson, the OK 
record label, OKEH. So we launched this record label, relaunched this record label together in 1994. Um, and that was like a huge honor because it was like a blues label, right? Yeah. And uh, and it was pretty cool. And so then fast forward 20 years, and um, Kevin and I went on tour, and then he said, well, could we, would would you – well, we, could, we talked about doing something. He offered to produce me. And um, and so the record looked like basically me going down to Nashville and constructing a record with one of the most meticulous mm. guys I've ever worked with or met in Kebmo, and um, and starting from the ground up, like writing songs with him or bringing him songs and having him kind of go over them with a fine tooth comb and um, and reworking them and taking them to what ended up to be a stronger place i feel strongly um and a real kind of lesson like putting me into this role of being not only a student of the blues but a student of music so it was like a master class in making records and recording and writing and just music in general and and so and um and that was the process and uh it was it was a lot of fun what what kind of nuggets did you get from him? I mean, this guy's won Grammys and he's, you know, he's, you mentioned how meticulous he is. Um, what kind of lessons did you learn about the record making process and working that closely with him? Any, yeah, anything stand out? Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean his his work ethic for one thing is is unbelievable, and then it's just his dedication to, you know, to detail and mm. not letting anything. I mean, like the joke is that you could have. He could have Jimi Hendrix in the studio, mm-hmm. and he'd say, "Okay, Jimmy, let's let's hear Purple Haze. Take one. Let's hear the vocal." And Jimi Hendrix would go, "Purple Haze running through," and Kev would say, oh, Jim, "Hold on, Jimmy, <laughs> not like that, like this." Purple Haze running through my mind. Jimmy said, "All right, you know." So Kev would like, and no one that came in the studio did not get fucked with by Kev, whether it was like Robert Randolph or uh-huh. Roosevelt, all these amazing, you know, masters of their instrument. Um, had to, and certainly all the, the side musicians, anybody that stepped foot in, certainly me, man, he would, <laughs> you know, like the first night we did the vocal, the first song we wrote all together, and he had another writing partner named Gary Nicholson, um, who also is like a Grammy award-winning right. blues writer. Um, Gary and I wrote this song and brought it to Keb, and then we finished it called Fix Your Face. Uh-huh. And, um, and then... Well, the, when it came time to cut the vocal that first night on the demo, um, same thing. Kevin, all right, let's try the vocal, G. Right. Fix your face, baby. No, hold on, not like that. <laughs> Fix your face, baby. All right, I'll try it again. Fix your, and this went on for like, you know, till three in the morning. Damn. And then I'm sitting there with two 70-year-old men. And I'm like, what the fuck are these guys, are you guys doing? Still I didn't know they do this this late still. Seriously. I mean, no one stays in the studio late anymore because no one has a budget. Um, right. And that's just not the way records seem to be made, at least in my sphere. We used to, we would start at like 2 p.m. and walk out at 8 a.m. in the morning you right. know, back in the day, but that's not going on. But So <laughs> then the next day I come in and Kev goes, you know, I was just messing with you, G. I just want to see if you were here to work or not. Shut the <laughs> fuck up. But that being said, like that 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 vocal on on that take is the vocal that we did that night with him going every word, every line, like no, sing it again like this. Yeah. And so what I learned, I learned like 
like where to put the vocal on a beat, how you can play with the vocal by putting it on a downbeat or an upbeat, a thing called on the one, not like James Brown or John Lee Hooker like playing a song on just one chord mm -hmm. or on the one chord, but more that on the beat, one, two, three, mm -hmm. four in the blues, we think about like, you know, cowboy related to like a chain gang. So you go dig a ditch on the one with the shovel. And he had me in the vocal booth pretending like I was digging. Like For one. Like two, mime three, actually four. miming yeah. it out? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So every one. One, two, three. And, it would, and everything would be. So that's why. So like it was like I'm drinking wine, wine, wine. All the, you know, and you're shoveling. I'm, I'm literally doing this. So a lot of it was like really awkward. But, you know, you, I went, you know, you go with it because. Because you, you know, why wouldn't you? Right. You know what I mean? And again, Kev's got, you know, four, five Grammys or whatever he has, and I don't have any. So that was part of this journey for me was like, I would like to make a record that could get um, considered for like a contemporary blues Grammy, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, that I want to try to achieve. So that's part of what my goal was working with Kevmo. And then, him teaching me how he makes records. Yeah. So was there ever a moment where you're like, God damn it, Kev, can we just, can we just take, is that, that take was perfect. Can we just go with it? Or were you really like in the whole moment? All right, I have given, I've given it all over, the reins over to you. Let's go. Yeah, no. So definitely like when, um, as we progressed in our working relationship and as the record progressed towards completion, because like I said, we kind of did two or three kind of writing sessions that were demo sessions that ended up being working demos. And then we did a final push last December uh, 2018, mm. like a 10-day session to finish the record. And, um, and, so to, and then that became a little bit of a time crunch. Um, and with all the other instruments, and we only had a couple day or two to really make sure all my vocals, which are really the most important thing right. in a lot of ways, um, to be on point. And I, I did have to tell him, I was like, look, let me just do, because I'd start to take, and then he'd be like, and I'd be vibing because the music sounds great, and I love the song. I started singing it, and he stopped me right away and said, you know, no, it has to be on, like, put, like, on She's the Rock, like, Singing like this, like, lay back, no, singing on this beat, you know, line by line. Right. And I'm like, now I've been working together for a couple of years, so I'm like, look, really, can you just, just give me three passes? Let me get, let me do three passes of my vocal, you know, with, and, and just let me get through it and get my vibe out there, just how I'm feeling it, yeah. like the inspiration. And then if there's things that need to be addressed, like rhythmically and um, anything else, um, come back and, and do the takes for you. Mm. But I, I did have that moment where I, sure. And then I just like, that's like that with anything, like making a record, or any big project, there's always going to be times when you bang your head against the wall and you get right. frustrated. So yeah, there was, there was some moments, <laughs> some <laughs> moments got, got pretty tense, but um, you know, 
they were kind of necessary um, and um, and it never came to a point where I was unhappy like I was always happy and just kind of really blown away by again his his attention attention to detail and all the time he put into this project because right again there's no budgets to make records and and certainly you know he or I could make a lot more in a night than we could you know for three years working on that record you know right and and he could work with so many people you yeah, know and he's yeah. gonna spend all that time with you that's got to feel really really good yeah, right? yeah, yeah I mean yeah. you've earned the right to be there you've done the work for a long time but still He's still Kev Mo, you yeah. know, and so that's yeah. really, really great. Have you had experiences previous to that one that kind of that allowed you to 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 roll with the punches in that way, in the sense of like um, that attention to detail, either that you've worked with other people who were that way, or did you yourself have a bit of that uh, in your life anyway, or in your music anyway? Yeah, I mean, I think I I have, and it, it's it's not an easy thing to be told, like you know, your song sucks, you know. But yeah. I've, I've I read a lot of songs, and I've heard right. that a lot, you know. Especially, you know, my manager is a guy named Jason Brown, and we've been best friends since second grade. Uh-huh. So in our relationship, I mean, the older we've gotten, you know, our communications mellowed out, but we're yin and yang. So, um, and also because of, of our relationship, our personal relationship. You know, he's got no problem telling me, like, you know, what do you think of this song? Well, I, I don't think it's very good, you know, or, or I think it sucks, or I think you need to come up with something a lot better than that. Um, so over the years, you know, I've, um, you, you have to kind of, it, it, it's a hard thing because when you write a song, you're really like kind of, hopefully you're, you're really open yourself up and you're being honest. Right. At the very least, you're, you're writing a song that you care about enough and feel enough to sing and then feel for yourself and then record it, give it to other people. Um, so you, you know, you're putting yourself out there and, you know, no one wants to hear like, I don't like that. Right. So, or no one wants to hear that you could sing that better or you need to sing it differently or the way you're naturally approaching it's the wrong way. Uh, but this is something that, you know, in, in any line of work you're in, you have to be able to take um, constructive criticism, especially from the people that are, you know, trying to help you to achieve success. Right. You know I mean, so that's if you know we don't know each other, you know, me and you don't know each other very well. So if if you wrote in an interview or whatever, you know, this song sucks or whatever, G Love sucks, like that would still hurt. Yeah. But you know, I I don't you know, but it doesn't mean I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing. Right. And and someone says i don't if if my drummer who you were just sitting with while i was out there you know he, he'll he be like i don't like that song you know so i was like all right well i'll just go play it with someone else or you know we won't play that tonight we got a million songs right so you kind of learn how to like and then it question makes me question quality control so then i'll say all right well he doesn't like that song i respect him i don't always agree with him but let me check this out. Maybe this song's not really worth pursuing. You know, not like if I bring my if I bring a new song to the guys, Jim and Jeff, you know, I'd say like eighty five percent of the time they come and right in playing something mm. that you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then there's the times that I bring a song and they're just like, either they're not feeling it or they're not hearing it like I'm hearing it, and then it's like a fucking drag. And then I got to decide like, do I want to 
you know, force feed these motherfuckers this song right. because I know that it's great and I can get them where they need to be. Uh-huh. Or do I want to move on? How do you make that decision? Um, I think it just comes down to the fact where, like, I can honestly um, say, like, um, you know, I, th- I think it comes down to the fact I, I can honestly say, like, yeah, maybe this one doesn't need to. Maybe we don't need to add this to the repertoire or this list of songs to get recorded. And I got this other one that's working really well with these guys, so why not just go there? But I, I guess it's just like an honest look at yourself, and then, and honestly, it gets easier because of the fact it gets easier for me to walk away from shit um, because we have so many records out. Right. And and so I have to really set a bar high for like a reason to write a song and a reason to if you know really think about is this a song that's going to be good for the band? Yeah. Um or a good song to record on a record. Um is this song going to stand the test of time, you know what I mean? But it, it seems like once you make that decision that you're okay with walking away from it, then walking away wouldn't be the hard part. The hard part would, I think the way you phrased it was like, force, am I going to force feed it to these motherfuckers? You know, is there, do you have those songs that you're like, no, this is the song. Like this one, trust me guys, we're going to get there. Right. Does, do those moments happen? And how do you decide that that is a song that's worth pushing your boys on? Well, like a couple come, a couple of songs, like two, two songs pop into mind. One song was a song called Walk to Slide off our first record. Mm-hmm. So, um, right before we had our first record, we had two bass players. One was Jim, and then Jim got fired right away, and then we brought in this other kid. And so the, this kid's name was Nick. He played an upright bass, too. He was younger than me. He was like 17, and I was 20. And Jeff was like 30. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had written a song this week, um, and this is where we're starting to just do the first G Love and Special Sauce gigs around Boston. And I and we had rehearsal. I pulled out the song Walk the Slide, which um and the bass player it was a little it was you know, like a lot of stuff is like a little quirky, chords different, it was a little darker. He just couldn't wrap his head around it. And yeah. part of the reason was because he had taken mushrooms the night before <laughs> and was just, like, frazzled and in a mood, you know? Right, right. And so, like, he left rehearsal, and I just remember Jeff and I were, like, super bummed because it just sucked because we had this cool thing, and he, the bass player was like, no, this fucking sucks. Like, and then that was, that was the end of rehearsal. And then we fired him. Mm. And that song's <laughs> on the record. So, and it, and it is one of, like, dark kind of mystical song. But it's one of the great ones that a lot of people like. And and then I think about one with the special sauce, which was Hot Cooking. Uh-huh. And I wrote Hot Cooking, you know, kind of when I, I was hanging out with Jack Johnson and Donovan Frankenrider a lot. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, just to be honest, it's kind of inspired by, you know, their writing and their kind of flow. And mm-hmm. and I brought it to Jim and Jeff. And they're like, this is some this is bullshit. You know, this is a bullshit song. And um, that's not a very strong argument. <laughs> and, uh, they just weren't feeling it because it was kind of strummy. And yeah. It was a little jangly. It wasn't super funky, although I did put like this kind of meters riff. It's funkier um, the live version than the recorded version, which is. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, so I kept bringing this song to soundcheck, and these guys would just shit all over it. And um, <laughs> but that song, I knew I was like, this song's a hit song, and you guys are gonna fucking learn it. Yeah. And I really did dig my heels in, and that was the first single of the Lemonade record, which was one of our more commercially successful records. So right. If I do have a uh, really strong conviction, um, I, I will fight for a song. And if I don't, then that's just saying to me, like, all right. So it sounds like it's more instinct than anything yeah. else. Just a feeling. Yeah. And, and, and again, like, but again, like, it's like the older I get, it's like we have so many songs. I, uh, yeah, like, well, here's an example. Like, we're in the process right now of seeing which songs from the new record, The Juice, translate into a G Love and Special Sauce show. Right. And so I'm thinking about what songs I want to bring to band. Well, the, the one we're working on right now is a song called Birmingham, which, um, you know, is a... It's one that has Robert Randolph on it. It has Robert Randolph and Kevin on it. It's written by this guy, uh, written by... It's a song that occurred outside of the session. It was written by myself and Sam Hollander. Sam's a huge songwriter. Like he wrote High Hopes for Panic at the Disco last year. And like oh, wow. Fits in a Tansom. You know, I can make your hand, hand clap and a oh, ton wow. of shit. You know? Wow. And, um, and we've been writing for years. So that one was written with him and I. And um, I don't, just to be honest, like, I don't feel super connected to that song, like emotionally. Because it's a story that's kind of made up, whereas everything else in the record's really like my personal shit or how I feel about shit. Um, and so, but a lot of people, just from the initial, the record's been out for a week, it's getting some reaction that song, even though it's not a single, and it has a good tempo, so let's try and bring it to the stage. Well, so we're starting to work it, and it's just, it's not going so well. Mm. But I'm going to keep working on it because I know that it's a good tempo piece and it's on the new record and we should introduce it. But so far it hasn't been it hasn't been easy. Whereas Solbecue is if you come to show tonight like we'll start the set with Solbecue and that was like a live hit for me acoustic and the guys have fallen into like a great um, live performance with the band on it. And then the other one, which is the hit, is Shake Your Hair, mm -hmm. which I never was really able to get a great acoustic solo version mm. of it going. But now with the band, it's like, to, to me, and I think even for the guys, like I think it's all of our favorite song on this tour. I could see how Soul BQ would translate acoustic, whereas Shake Your Hair wouldn't. Yeah. There's almost more, there's like a bounce to Shake Your Hair that's different from Soul BQ. Soul BQ's also bouncy, you yeah. know, definitely. But there's, there's a little bit more of a of a solo kind of vibe to it, you know. Like it, it could it could translate solo. I could see. Yeah. Whereas the other wouldn't make as much sense. Yeah, yeah. Do the guy when the when you were talking about Birmingham, are the guys feeling it live, or is it, are they still kind of like you are, where it's like, man, I just can't quite get it right. Well, we haven't played it live in okay. front of an audience yet, and. And that's that's when you'll know. <laughs> and also, this record's again is challenging because this is the first record I've ever put out that, except for the first G Love Oh Yeah record, which is a solo, that neither Jim and Jeff play one 
lick on it at oh, all. Interesting. So um, this is doubly hard for me because I gotta, you know, they're not involved in this record, but they're the band. Yeah. So, you know, um, I need them to kind of do the work for a project that they're not totally invested in. That's interesting. So that, again, that um, that's another challenging piece to bring this G Love record to the special sauce show. Have y'all had conversations about that? I mean, you know, um, sometimes more like, um, well, I mean, you know, just for instance, this is kind of, you know, we're, we're, the three of us are a quirky bunch. It's amazing that we still like live on a bus together. But, yeah, yeah. You know, like, for instance, like, you know, my, my whole thing was like, if, if I was in a band, right, and the band leader was going to make a record, I would, and I wasn't a part of it. Yeah. I would be the guy that would say, even just for job security, hey, man. I can't wait to hear the new record. Show me what you're working on. Can we play any of it live? Right. But those guys would never ever say that to me. Interesting. So it, it, we have an interesting, you know, personality um, dilemma between the three of us. But that's just part of being in a band, you know. And um, like you know, my drummer, for instance, like even on this tour, he'll be like, like the first week of tour, he's like, um, he wanted to show me this. What's the folk singer that died? Is the English guy in the 60s, uh, Nick, 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 not Nick Cave. Or, or was it Nick Cave? No, Nick Cave's no, still not around. Nick Cave. Put out an amazing record. But Nick, it's... Not Nick Lowe. Not yeah, Nick Lowe. Nick Lowe. Yeah. So he had a Nick Lowe song. Jeff, the drummer, he was like, yo, I, I want to show you this song. So I want to sing this song. I want to work it up. And I'm like, all right, dude, like, I'm just trying to wrap my head around it because, like, you know that we're, my record's coming out next week. We're on a record release tour. You know, have you taken the time to, like, if I was you, I would have come prepared with every song, like, ready to go, at least how it is on the record, and right. know the shit back and forth. It's my fucking job. Right. Yeah, but you're, you're coming to me and saying, hey, I really want to work on this out of the blue, like, this Nick Lowe cover. Nothing against that. That's a wonderful song, but like, bro, focus on like, at the very least, like bread and butter. Like what we're trying to do out here. Like if we can have any record breakthrough, it's gonna be great for all of us. Right. You know what I mean, so these are the kind of, you know, things that like, um, that that are just part of you know our our grind. You know. What I mean? So what lessons have you learned from? From touring that long and and being in a band that long, what lessons about longevity in this in this creative life have you learned? Well, I think you gotta like for one thing you gotta pick your battles, uh -huh. you know, and that's a big part of it. And um, the pros and cons of loyalty, you mm. know, because um, you know, generally, I don't like to fire people like my. Uh. Chris, who you probably met, yep. my front of house guy, sound guy, he's produced records for me. Um, you know, he we've been working together for since 1996. The band's been together off and on mostly since 1993. It's you know, amazing. My, my guitar tech, 
and stage manager Frank. He's been with us since you know 2003. We have a new merch guy, and that's that's our crew. But like, um, so kind of, I'm kind of loyal to a fault. And that also, just to be honest, like that also could be because I'm lazy. <laughs> like I don't want to have to train a new guitar yeah. tech to this is how I like it, or I don't want to have to learn you know with my band we we have a huge repertoire like we can we're not going to play 300 songs tonight but we could right you know and um so i think that but i at the same time i think that um and then also just kind of letting shit roll off you like Mm. you know you have to have a you have to have a kind of tough skin to live on our boss you know everyone's like family it's like that tough love kind of thing yeah, but um, but th- but that being said, there's a real deep bond and a super chemistry in that family that that we have, and and I think that th- that there's a lot of power in that on stage. And like Jeff, my drummer, always says like, it's pretty cool. Like I could play these songs with anybody, but it is pretty cool that like when you come to the G Eleven Special Sauce song, you're gonna hear those parts that those guys came up with played by them, right? You know, and maybe play it on the same instrument that was on the record. That's awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sounds like that loyalty serving you well is what that sounds like to me. Yeah, I mean, there's times when, you know, just to be honest, like, I think about it, um, yeah, I think about that all the time. Like, do I want to make a change? Like, this record particularly, there was a, a lot of talk, like, in my camp, like, should I take a different band out this year? Because mm. those guys aren't on the record. It's a new record. It's a good, fresh opportunity to come with a different look and then i was really kind of trying to think about it and i didn't have a real other than just what i just said i didn't have a real strong reason for can other guys is there some guys that are dressed better yeah yeah (laughs) yeah. there's some guys that look more like rock (laughs) guys yeah okay yeah definitely there's some you know, more handsome guys, I'm sure, or handsome guys. I know, Jeff looked pretty handsome. Yeah, Jeff's a handsome guy, <laughs> and Jim is too. But, like, you know, can I get some younger guys? Can I get a bigger band? I mean, I could do whatever I want, but, yeah, sure. I didn't. Yeah. Well, and that's an interesting quote, like you said, with, the, with this record. And that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about is, like, did you and Kev Mo have, like, the most impossibly cool ro- – I'm picturing it with, like, an old-school Rolodex and going through, like, the coolest musicians you could think of. And you're like, uh, let's see. who we got? Marcus King. Anybody <laughs> got Marcus King's number? Anybody got Roosevelt's number? Yeah, we got Roosevelt right. Collier's number? So what did that process look like, figuring out the collaborators, you know? And I bet some of those dudes would come – would at least sit in with you, if not come on tour with you. Roosevelt, for example. Yeah. You know? So um, what did that process look like, getting those collaborators in the studio? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, um, Robert's like an old friend. Like, okay. we, we, like, party. Like, yeah, he, yeah. he's, like, he's my guy. And um, Marcus is just the sweetest guy, and we got to um, bond and jam a lot on the blues cruise that we were on. Oh, cool. Roosevelt, I just, you know, he's always been super cool with me, and um, I'm just such a huge fan of him. And, again, yeah. from, like, being on jam cruise with him and, and just doing – you know showing up at shows around jazz fest or you know the boom boom room in san francisco and sitting in with him so um i wanted to ask him to be on it and then there's a guy ron ortiz the second who's a young younger youngish hawaiian uh 
was African American, raised on the North Shore of Oahu, mm. um, and just an amazing Hawaiian blues guy. What I like would say like the Hawaiian Gary Clark. Oh wow! But maybe more a little more singer songwritery. But uh, and um, and then you know. Sounds like my shit right there. Yeah, it is really good. Yeah. Um, But yeah, no, it was just like I wanted to basically just bring a bunch of guys that were kind of um, contemporary guys on the fringe of the blues, like pushing Mm -hmm. blues. And um, and so all those guys were part of that. Um, And and um, it kind of just the right amount of of uh, sit ins. And then, of course, Kebmo himself, like, is plays on most most of the tracks or plays or sings on does something on most of the tracks Golly. that's amazing uh well the results beautiful man and i'm i'm crazy about it and i appreciate it i appreciate your time too and i don't want to take much more but we always end on what you're consuming at the moment art wise what's got you fired up it could be music i don't know paint a painting you saw a book you read whatever it is that you're excited about um well, I mean, damn, you just open it to art, but uh yeah, I mean, we're we're I I do I get super sparked by art and and we're mm. like big um well not big, but we I'm an art collector. Uh, and, I didn't know that. Um kind of from playing at Art Basel in Miami, um for the last like 10 years I always go down and I would do like pop-up shows down there and then any money I make I I'd buy some paintings by shit that I love and I love like a lot of street art and I also like a lot of fine art and also don't have super deep pockets so I look for emerging you know artists and um actually the guy who did a record co- cover is a guy who I collect heavily um named Greg Haberney okay. and um so our our house is really almost like a Greg Haberney museum wow and um and the art, the visual art that we surround ourselves with, um, that sparks me because when I'm home and I surround myself with this artwork that captivates me and like, and I can just stare at it. And um, some of the artists we collect, like Cause, we have, a, we have a, some Banksy stuff, hmm. um, Greg Haberney, um, and, um, Steve Powers, who did our last record cover, Love Saves the Day. He's a major street artist. Maya Hayek. Um, and uh, Brian Leo. Wow. And then, like, Catherine Bernhardt and Catherine Bradford. Um, Brian Bellot. Anyhow, so, like, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of this, yeah. these artists... You know, if you open it to that, that's what's good. I love that's what that. Gets my Nobody ever answers that way, and I'm so yeah. glad you did. What What is it about Greg Haberney's art that speaks to you so much? I don't know, but like, I can. Art's like so visceral for me. Like, you know, it just like, you know, forgive the expression, but I always have a thing. It's like this shit is either gonna get your cock hard or not. Like, <laughs> I look at this shit, like it just it sparks. Like, uh, I don't know. I, it's the same token, like, there's nothing that upsets me worse than, like, bad art. Um, huh. And, you know, like... What oh do you mean? God. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't... I'm not... I mean, just... I don't know. There's just a lot of stuff that, that's just not on the level, you know? Do you like, feel that way about music? Yeah, I feel that way about 
feel that way about like food, anything that requires like a creative thing, um, food, music. I mean, you could kind of art certainly. What is it about Greg Habring that really gets me? He, he like it's paintings, but he does a lot of multimedia stuff. Like his process is super involved. Like he'll if you go into a studio. On the floor are all these paintings he's working on. He wants he walks over them all day, and he, you walk in his studio. Oh, I don't want to step. No, please step on it. He wants all the dirt from the city streets of New York, to be on on those canvases. And um, he's really kind of like, you know, I'm using the word visceral again. I, I can't even give you an exact definition, but it's 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 like uh, guttural. It's like coming from. Yeah. It's just like spilling out, like immediate um i think i know what you mean when visceral is a very descriptive term i i i get it when you say that just like you know kind of nitty-gritty and mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know and art's such a personal thing yeah because you could look at a painting i could look at it and i could love it and you it could really just do nothing for you, mm-hmm. you know, vice versa so um but yeah i i will say that um I love the like the record cover the ju- like that's that's his work cause it's it's a yeah. it's a brown piece of cardboard you might think that a kid did it and um like for instance my sound guy Chris he'll be like yeah did you have your son do this you know what I mean like yeah. he doesn't get it yeah it yeah doesn't yeah. do anything for him right that's okay that's okay yeah but for but that's an example of his artwork if I look at the record cover I'm like ah oh, it's so cool like to me it's well, and that's why that's I asked you that about like about when it bothers you to see shitty art, you know, because it's like because I think it is so subjective and it's hard. And I think with music, I I find it I'm trying to back off a little bit personally about criticizing music. What I do here isn't really critical at all. It's uh-huh. all about celebrating. I don't sit down with people that I'm not crazy about, you right, know, okay. so it's all about celebration and there's no critique to it. If I write an album review I'm only writing about it if I liked it. Right. I don't tear anybody's record down because uh-huh. I just don't have the time or energy for right, that. Right, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, but I am trying to let go a little bit of of kind of my attitudes towards some music that I would have called shitty that probably is shitty, <laughs> but that makes people happy, you know? And that's one thing that I struggle with with visual art is like, like you said, it's so subjective and if you know Chris looks at it and it doesn't make any sense to him, but it gets your dick hard, right. you know. Yeah. So um, I I don't know where to go with that. You know I don't I don't know because I think there is a place for critique. I'm not saying that critique isn't valuable. I do think it's valuable. Yeah. Um, but I just feel very uncomfortable with it. Yeah, especially it's it's hard to be critical in this day and age as well because everyone can get at you. Like you can right. come on a, you could write a review and say, "Oh, did you love?" record the at g love or the at billy g love yeah, record yeah, yeah. sucks and it's gonna pop up on my feet like oh and i could click on it and say oh damn well, who is this guy this just had you do, you, do you know the songwriter lydia loveless or have you listened to her know, music she's this wonderful songwriter and like objectively a wonderful songwriter in country folk rock kind of stuff you know singer songwriter kind of stuff um hopefully she's not cringing if she's listening to me describe her music but She's wonderful. And somebody, I just saw it on Twitter. Somebody said they were in a bar and they they mentioned one of her songs and said, you know, and just railed it, but and tagged her 
And I was like, what kind of little person are you? That Why did you feel the need to tag the artist? Like Maybe right. you want to put it out there because right. you, you felt the need to share that for some reason. Even that I have a, a hard time with. But to like, this is this person's art that they've created that they've spent so much time with right, and poured right. their hearts into. And you felt the need to to put it out there like that. And of course, predictably, she just got absolutely railed. This person who said that, you oh, know, okay. fans of Lydia's came to her defense uh-huh. and were just like, what's wrong with this person? And I mean, everybody had a, had a thought and it was all positive toward Lydia. But I just thought, man, this is a person that has poured their heart out with this right. art. Yeah. And you're going to take to Twitter and say this one off comment, probably after you had five beers. You right. know, I mean, it's interesting, you know, and like just, you know, just at the same time, like we kind of talked earlier about the, the um, you know, having tough skin or be able to take critique. I mean, just to be uh, honest, like, you know, you can, I could read, and I don't, really, I don't, I don't really like to, re- I don't, I really stay away from looking at reviews because Smart. it's really, it is, you, you know, you could read a thousand glowing reviews and then that uh-huh. one review that even is, is, isn't <laughs> even that mean, but says something, that's going to be the one that like, pops in your head while you're in front of people and and pops in your head um when you're questioning you know am the question that everybody asks themselves like am i good am i worthy like yeah. is what i'm doing imp- necessary important so it's 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 hard man it's it's hard the best thing to do is uh and that's again why s- social media is like so hard yeah uh because you know, do you really want to know if people like you or not? Or do you really want to know that people just like you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if people go on and say, oh, you know, your your podcast sucks and your questions suck. But a million people said, oh, I love your podcast and your questions. You're just going to think about that one guy, you know I mean? I don't, I don't know how you can't. Like, yeah. It's hard. Like, yeah. Yeah. But, and then also... It's not healthy to just have people saying how great it is right? because you need the feedback. Yeah. And sometimes that's really hard to get from people. Yeah. I mean, I ask for feedback all the time and I just get people saying, I love what you're doing, man. Right, right. And I'm, I really appreciate that. I'm not, please y'all yeah. keep, keep it coming. I don't know why I looked at the recorder when I said that, but y'all keep it coming. Yeah. Like I need that too, because yeah. this is a lot of work and it is putting myself out there quite a bit, but at the same time, sometimes I'm like, well, what do I need to do better? Because being your own critic can be really dangerous. And yeah. I only have myself as a critic. Yeah. So being your own critic can be super dangerous because if you get too far down that spiral, then everything sucks. You know, like yeah. you're, you're worthless, yeah. right? <laughs> Especially if you're in a depressive moment or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think about my son's in art school right now. And um, right, part of going to art school is like having that critique. Like that's what they do. That's part right. of the, the process, right? Like, they all create something and then they all sit around and have critique and critique each other. Yeah. So th- I think that's a pretty cool thing to go through for like uh, a student to be that part of the program and be like, okay, now, you know, yeah, you've just poured your soul into this. Hopefully you poured your heart and soul into this project and now people are going to tell you <laughs> whether they think it's good or not. Right. Or what they do like on it and what they don't like on it. When getting that a little bit earlier age at a little bit earlier age is also super helpful so yeah. that you're not, you know, you're not becoming disenchanted later on when the world hits you in the face with some of those critiques. Yeah. But then I look back too, cause you know, I was super, I was his age when my record was coming out and, mm. and, and that, and you know, you, you 
maybe we'll just kind of close on this, but like, you know, that's why a lot of people's first records are their greatest records because mm. it's your whole life leading up to that record where you really have no one fucking with you and telling you whether they think it's good or worthy or bad and unworthy. Um, and then, you know, think about De La Soul's first record, Three Feet High and Rising, and then the second record was De La Soul's Dead. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah. They came out, they did something no one ever did before, and then half the people loved it, and half the people wanted to say, oh, this ain't, it's not really hip-hop. And then they had to come back and say, no, we are, like, the next record was like, no, we are. And same thing with, like, The Far Side. Mm-hmm. The Bizarre Ride to The Far Side is one of the greatest hip-hop records. I mean, how fun is that record? Yeah. And then the next record, Serious. Yeah, yeah. So, like, and, and our record, our first record, too, like, we came out with this amazing thing, and then... Uh, the next record's blues because yeah. we were so sick of people, you know, saying, "How the fuck can you be rapping? You're a white kid from Philly whose dad's a lawyer. <laughs> you the right to play the blues. Yeah. You know, you're a white kid from Philly whose dad's a lawyer. You know, so how did you? I've fi- been hearing that shit from an early age, and did that affect my music? Yeah. How did you, I was just gonna say, how did you get through that? Cause I did. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I think over the years. When you don't go away, people stop questioning whether uh, why you're doing it or what gives you the right to, you know, appropriate, you know, uh, African American culture. Right. And because obviously I love it. Exactly, and you're you're, you're <laughs> respectful, right? right? It's not like you're, yeah, yeah, you're you're putting the work and you're doing yeah. it respectfully, and it's not like it's just you and a bunch of white dudes either. Like you're you're collaborating with people who. Who maybe have a little bit more of are living that life uh, in a different level, and so, you know, you've got the credibility now. You've been doing it for so long. Yeah, you hang around long enough, and people stop asking, <laughs> "Why are you here?" They're yeah. just like, oh, he's, here. he's still here, <laughs> dude. Gee, I'm glad you're here, and thank you so much, man. That was such a such a pleasure, dude. Thank you. Oh, that was perfect. <laughs> All right, I gotta jump. Love y'all. What an honor. Thank you, G, for your openness and time. Thank you for listening, everybody. What a weekend. I got to talk to G Love. I ran 26.25 fucking miles. Hung out with some of my favorite people and greatest inspirations and my partner Chris and our dear friends Emma and Rose. I could talk about that weekend forever, and I do quite a bit over on Patreon. More about that in just a second. First, follow us on Twitter, please. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, in that order, is kind of the priority for me, but I I try to keep up with all of them as much as possible. Give us a follow on your podcast app and rate the show if you dig what we're doing. If you really like what we're doing, please consider joining our Patreon community. For just a few bucks a month, you can gain access to our Patreon-exclusive show, Jason's Journey where I talk about the moments that have shaped and continue to shape my creative life. All right, y'all, it's time for what I'm getting down on, this segment where I talk about the art that is inspiring me at the moment. I have been devouring everything by Riley Walker. I, I don't know what took me so long to get into him. I've um, followed him on Twitter for a long time, 
but never really listened to him. And he's opening for drive-by truckers here in Orlando this coming April. So I just thought I'd dive in and see what his music was all about. And it's, he's just amazing. He's an incredible guitar player, uh, has a wonderful voice. And um, I, it kind of spans a lot of, uh, a lot of different genres, very jazzy uh, feeling stuff, bluesy feeling stuff. Um, it's an interesting marriage, the, the drive-by truckers with Riley Walker. So I cannot wait for that for that night um because they they're definitely what they do is definitely very different but i get it i mean it does make sense check him out if you haven't uh, everything he does like i i like everything that he's made he did a whole record of um the of co- of he basically did the whole he did in fact do the whole um lily white sessions the dave matthews band um and released that as a record it's just fantastic um I just, I I can't say enough about him. Really, really cool. I've been reading Steve Silberman's Neurotribes, which is uh, a deep dive into autism. This book is, uh, is wonderful. It uses fascinating, very human stories to examine such a little understood condition. I highly recommend that book, Neurotribes, as well as Steve's podcast, which I've mentioned before with the legendary David Crosby. It's called Freak Flag Flying. Um, he, they just, they're, they're old friends and the story of how they became friends is really, really cool and heartwarming. And then they just, uh, they, they have such an, uh, a great chemistry and it comes through during the conversation and Crosby's so interesting as well. I mean, Steve and, and, and David are both really fascinating guys. Um, so check that out. Freak flag fi- flying, uh, neuro tribes, and then, uh, listen to Riley Walker, listen to everything he's done. Just so good. That's all I've got this week, y'all. Stay tuned for some incredibly cool conversations. I have so many great things going on. We just booked a dream guest. And if you're curious about that, uh, head on over to Patreon and, uh, and you can, you can download Jason's journey if you contribute to the Patreon and, uh, and you can hear the big reveal. I try to try to make sure that on Patreon, um, you know, we, we go a little bit deeper. I talk about the behind the scenes stuff and, the moments that that make the show uh, what it is. All right, y'all. Until next time, go out and create something. Cheers, y'all.